0: Welcome to Build and Learn. My name is CJ. And I'm Colin. And today we are joined by Chelsea Otakin. Chelsea is a product designer and front-end developer. She is also a self-proclaimed lover of design systems, writing code, red pandas, karaoke, and learning new things. Welcome to the show, Chelsea.
1: Hi. I do love all those things. That has stayed the same.
0: So far on this show, we've talked a lot about software development mostly in terms of like programming languages and tools, culture, those kinds of things. If you're just joining us, you can go check those out in our show notes. But this week, we wanted to kind of turn it on its head a little bit and dive into Chelsea's approach to designing and building things for the web. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, we're going to mix it up a little bit. And yeah, we're excited to dig in.
1: Yeah, so I, I work at Lattice. So if you're not familiar with Lattice, we build kind of like performance kind of software, so software to do performance reviews, feedback, uh, things like that at your company. I've been there for about a year. I joined last January, and before that, I was working with CJ at Stripe. In terms of things that are relevant to me, I think the things you listed off were are still my interests, but I feel like a lot has changed in my life since then. Mostly, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old that keeps me very, very busy. Her name's Penny. Yeah, I got a snotty little toddler to run around after, so that's like a lot of my life lately.
2: Having kids changes perspectives so much. I remember, Mm -hmm. yeah, it kind of, there's like also some research about like how it like literally changes the chemistry in your brain, even as like the non-birthing parent, right? Like when you see the kid as a baby and they're like, you know, skin to skin or whatever, it just like changes everything. And so, yeah, not surprised to hear that some of those priorities have shifted a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it might be yeah.
1: like above Red Pandas, but oh, know, yeah. the jury's at <laughs> Like, it depends on the day. Should yeah. A good yeah. Day? Yes. <laughs> nice. Kara-
0: karaoke's just in there somewhere. It's something that you can do.
1: Do together, really. So, you know.
0: Nice. Nice. That's amazing. Get get Penny into that early.
1: Yeah. I'm actually in my basement and our home karaoke setup is like over there.
0: Nice. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing to start talking about.
2: What is karaoke night?
1: Oh, gosh, I forgot about. I guess that's sort of kind of related to my story, too. So background, I started off in design, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't have, like, a formal design background, so I didn't go to design school. I started making websites when I was, like, in high school. I was super into Neopets, and actually, as I progressed with my career, I found, like, many other people, like, that's how they got into design or coding or tech in general is like some neopets was somewhere in your path and it was definitely in mine and I was like into live journal and blogs and all that stuff and so I'd been doing that for a while and then I went to college and was like figuring out what I wanted to do it was like maybe biology but it wasn't really feeling right and then I needed a job and so I like walked into what I thought was like the magazine office but it was actually the newspaper office and someone was like, we need someone. We need another person on our website. And let's like, wait here, I'll go get the the guy that's on our website. And it was Colin and he like just gave me a job. I was like, whoa, okay. And this kind of was the first time I like figured out that this was something people would pay you for and was like a career path. But kind of fast forward, sorry, I went roundabout. I was Doing design for a while and I was been sort of sort of a technical designer, but never really progressed past like copy and pasting a little bit of JavaScript and writing CSS and was starting to get more interested in programming. And then I I worked somewhere that um, sort of like paid for me to do a front-end development like course. It was through, I think it's called something else now, but it was through block.io. And so I did this like self-paced course and they give you a mentor and I really just wanted to get over that hump of, like, can I start, like, solving problems on my own without, like, just copy and pasting something and then vaguely editing code and, like, crossing my fingers? Like, can I actually read code and understand how it works and and problem solve? And so that really helped me get over that hump and the, like, little karaoke night app, which never really launched, but that was sort of, like, my test project of, like, okay... I ha- they give you like structured projects but can i make something up and then like and and figure out how to work on it and I, think I got like 80% of the way there but never really launched it like i got the shape of the app i got like like a single page app running and then i started trying to write scrapers for like music databases to try to like like scrape the databases and and put together lists and stuff and so so yeah i was just trying to find something that i like was really into at the time and that was karaoke (laughs) and if you've ever tried to use a karaoke app it like the karaoke djs like download this app they're really bad they're like so (laughs) bad
0: the best way to do side projects is to find something that you're (laughs) passionate about and you're going to spend more time than you would on anything else to figure it out Mm -hmm. because you, you want you want it for yourself yeah yeah totally
2: yeah that was I was gonna say that's like a there's a couple like really interesting nuggets in that in that backstory like one is build side projects because you'll learn stuff but the other is that you didn't go to design school so like if yeah I guess like I'm curious if you were to restart today would you recommend a certain design school do they have like boot camps for learning design or is this something that people usually kind of pick up on the side
1: it's hard for me to say and I, I feel like I've I've Mentored a few designers, and it's been tough for me to, like, relate my experience because I think that the industry is just so different. I'm not saying I'm old, but it makes me feel old. (laughs) But, like, I I mentored an intern at Stripe, and she went to Carnegie Mellon, and, you know, she was asking me questions about, like, what what internship did you – how did you decide where to do your internship? And I was like, I went to journalism school, so – that, like, we had to do internships, but, like, the way I did my internship was, like, it was required, but I just took my job that I was doing, like, I had a part-time job at the museum, and I just asked them to sign my internship
0: papers, <laughs> because,
1: like, I already had a job that they were, like, paying me to do, and so I I I didn't go to, like, I think today you, like, go to, like, Carnegie Mellon, they're, like, schools for product design, a lot of people go to. And then they have these like internship fairs, which I went to Grace Hopper one year and like saw the, they have like an internship fair hall. And that was just like, it blew my mind. It was like, like all these companies like Apple and Workday. And, and they just had all these booths and Stripe. Like I was there with them and we had the booth. And it's just like these leagues of interns like interviewing like, like a hundred people in line to interview at Apple. And they're just like standing in line and there's a guy at a counter like doing a, inter- a quick interview with them and they're like, next. And then like they just go to like 50 companies that day or whatever and try to get internships. And in turn, these companies are like, are, like banging to like work here. Like we want you to and I did not have that experience like at all. So a part of it is like hard for me to say because I didn't go to design school. So I actually I can't say what the value or not value of design school is. I feel like I can't really say what that is but I think that like I think one of the values of my path and and to maybe like fill the gaps from earlier like I went I went to work at the newspaper and then I decided to like join the J school which is the journalism school at UNR and I would say the journalism school at UNR is more like does more broad communications so there's like an advertising path there's like print journalism there's so there's a few different paths and I I didn't choose a path. I kind of decided to get a more general degree. And then so I got to sort of like pick classes from any of the paths. And one of the classes was a design class. And Annie was a sort of like design professor who had joined the J school, I think in my like sophomore year of college. And so I just sort of like latched on to what she was doing. But I took her all the classes that she taught and then did a I forgot what it was called, but basically a a like independent study. Me and another another designer who was in the J School at Kevin Jones, who I think you guys, you guys know, like me and Kevin were kind of like doing similar things when we were in college. So we did an independent study with Bonnie and just sort of like made stuff well. <laughs> like had free periods mm-hmm. to make stuff and did and she like kind of like made up projects for us and um, and yeah, so it kind of like chose that path and then and then I while I was in college, I was also working like part-time design jobs. So I was contracting. I worked at 12 Horses with Colin again. So Colin got me like my first two jobs. So hey. And like contracted around with different companies in Reno. And then I started doing volunteer UI work with WordPress.org. And so my first job out of college was at WordPress. I kind of had started working within the community there and doing open source work and then got to know everybody there and, and got a job there. So that was, that was sort of how I landed my first job. So it's an atypical path, I think. But at the time, the typical paths that I've learned exist, like they weren't really there. I have a hard time giving advice on like how you would do it today. I just like, it's like, how can I do more of this or? when you know when i joined the newspaper and i was like really into into doing web stuff and i was like okay how do i do more of this either in this job ended up working at 12 horses and so it was really like trying to evaluate like what do i want to do more of and then like how do i just like keep going down that rabbit hole
0: yeah the industry has definitely gotten more mature i mean now we have boot camps for all like data scientists and design and All these things. But like you know, thinking back, like I was actually in the business school because I also couldn't really find like there was no program for people who were building for the web. And yeah, I ended up working with the J School uh, as well because they were they were kind of like a startup in that like newspapers were dying. They had to reinvent themselves. They had to be on that bleeding edge. And so you and I got exposure to web through that. There was a grad program that was like, "Hey, we're playing with this thing Google released called the Google Maps API. Like, can you figure <laughs> out how this works?" And we were like doing like like real-time news on a map like with pins and stuff and like using the first version of the API, and I actually they're like, "We'll pay you for this." And it was like weird to be like, "Oh, I can get paid to code." And you're totally right. Like now there are the, these like paths you can follow and like little yeah. guideposts. Your website does a really good job of kind of doing a few things, showing some things that you've done over your career at different companies, but then you also outlined some philosophies that you've clearly like developed over all of your time from, you know, from the newspaper all the way to today. And so I thought it might be good for us to to dig into some of those. And you, in fact, digging deep is, is one that you just mentioned and and one of the ones that you have up on there.
1: Is that really one that I wrote down and then I just said it?
0: It is. Yeah. So we'll just skip to that <laughs> really? one. So, so don't be afraid to dig deep.
1: <laughs> I wrote I wrote these a while ago. I yeah, I mean,
0: okay. where, where I'm at in my career, they're resonating with me very well. So I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that they exist here. And we'll put a link to your website in the show notes. So you can also check out Karaoke Night and the cool designs that are on there for that. So It's all very um, dated
1: content. Okay, everybody.
0: We can jump into the first one, mostly because of this tweet. That you also linked here, which is ship quickly and ship for the user, and the the tweet that you linked to is building a skateboard, not a wheel.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like this has been. I think at the time I hadn't heard it in a lot of places, but now I hear I hear this the like build a skateboard, not a wheel thing. And the other time that I wrote this, I just I just come off working at a company where like you were just really really like build fast, build fast, build fast. But the things we were putting out in the world were like not resonating. And I think it's because, I mean, in retrospect, it was because we were putting things out that were just like unfinished. They weren't a whole product. They didn't provide like a whole value set. We had sort of like, okay, here's the thing. We had sort of mapped out, like here's the product we think will provide value. And then we're going to ship that part first. And then like, this part over here. And then that part over there, we really prioritize that, I think, in terms of, like, what would be the easiest versus what this is, like, an entire experience that would actually deliver value. So, the like, I think a lot of people are familiar with this, but I can sort of, like, harp on it if there's anyone who's not, like, but, like, if you want to build a car, right, your first version might look like a skateboard because someone can ride a skateboard and, like, get somewhere. The first version shouldn't look shouldn't be a wheel because you can't. If you have a wheel, you then still have to build with the rest of the car. Like it's not in itself valuable until you build something else with it. And so I think what I was trying to say really, and you asked earlier if there's like any different philosophies, and I think maybe I'll like add one. And that one is like everything is a trade-off. And I think this one is kind of more trying to get it at at that is like to if you want to be fast and there's so much language about shipping quickly. And I think especially in early-stage startups, that is really critical. But you have to ship something whole. You can't just, like, ship a piece and expect people to know what to do with the piece. It's not their job to figure out what to do with it. It's your job to, like, show what value you bring with it. And so, so yeah, I think that was, like, particularly something I was struggling with, like, at at the company I just worked at, which was feeling like, not like were, like what we we're aiming to build wasn't valuable, but that we weren't delivering like the right piece to show. We were just giving you like a wheel and saying like, you can get places with this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, no, we can't. And so like, like, I think when you're, when you're thinking about iterative, like shipping product iteratively, I think each iteration has to be like a whole thing that you can use. Think about that versus like, and, and balancing that with speed, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it's also kind of tricky to do because you we hear all of this, like, harping on, oh, just do the MVP and ship your MVP and then get feedback and then iterate. But I think a lot of people take that as, like, just ship something that's incomplete and basic and then get feedback. But it's like, no, you've got to, like, get a holistic picture. And maybe that means narrowing your scope to, like, a much, much tighter group of users that you're going to solve for. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. solve something completely and perfectly for the that not necessarily perfectly, but solve it well for those users, and yeah. then start widening your scope to iterate and like pull in more and more users. Yeah. So,
1: and I think something that happens in practice, like I think everybody always has the intention to do that, and we just forget about the like the V and the P in that term. It's like viable and product. Like you have to build a whole product, and it has to be viable. It can't just be minimal. <laughs> like those other two letters are important. I think what happens a lot, like at least what I've seen happen practically is that like people are scared to have to repeat work. So like, okay, if you build like the wheel, if you build a skateboard, I'm going to keep going with the metaphor. If you build a skateboard, you can't use the same wheels in a car. Like it's a different thing. And so like be like, okay, but we need to make this so it is usable when we make our big product. But I would argue and I feel like this is something that I've always also learned the hard way in design systems that like you actually at this point in the process you don't know what people need out of the car like you don't know what kind of wheels they need you don't know like the reason you're building this skateboard is to figure out what they need so you like assuming that you can predict what that product will look like what that car will look like is I think is just kind of like a A fool's errand and so like if you're trying to build car pieces to fit on a skateboard it's not going to work and then like you just like you just have to admit that you're probably going to have to rebuild this piece but you'll do it with like a better knowledge of what it should be every time you do it and so if you try to design the car without building the skateboard first you just don't have enough information to know what it should be like and so so I think that is something at MVP stages, you just kind of have to let go of like, you might throw all of this away. And that's fine. Like, that's okay. You should probably throw all of it away. If you haven't thrown most of it away by the time you're at car stage, then yikes.
0: What I like about this, and I'll put it in the show notes for sure, is that, you know, the first one is you build a wheel, no one's happy. You build two wheels, no one's really happy. You build the body to put on top of the wheels. No one's still happy because... The car's not put together yet. But in the other one, it's like you've got a skateboard. That was something you can locomote on. You can move around. Then we're going to add like a handlebar to get a scooter. And the scooter is the new product, the new iteration. And Mm -hmm. people can get around on that. And then you have a bike. And then we added a motor to the bike. And then we're like, oh, people actually want to sit in a car with four wheels and the engine not between their legs.
1: Yeah. I feel like the scooter to bike thing is like really important, too, because you basically have to throw out all the parts. Oh, yeah. Like you're like none of these parts that we used before matter. Right. And like you should totally be fine doing that.
2: I think, yeah, like all of that is actually kind of also about the second point, which is that design is continuous. Right. I mean, the the fact that your product isn't done until you've got, you know, an actual product that is in someone's hands and then. You can figure out what's good and what's bad about that product and then iterate. Like after you ship something, figure out what's good and what's bad and then make it better. I think that's another thing that I think we forget about is shipping something and being like, yay, we made a thing. And then, you know, never going back to see how it's doing in the world.
1: Yeah, I think my my second job was at an agency. And that's where I started, like, I don't know, just feeling really hungry to understand how the stuff I was making was doing in the world because as most people know, like agency work is like you do it, client takes it, and then you don't really get to see what happens. And sometimes you have continuous clients, but at the time I didn't really, I didn't really have many of those. And so I, I didn't know if I was getting better. Like, I think that was almost like a personal thing. Like, am I, is this better than anything that I've made before? like I had an idea of like taste wise, I I think it's better, but like actual like UX usability wise, like I didn't, I didn't know if anything I was making was better than what I was doing before. And so I think that's sort of like how I landed in in product design is just like really being able to live with the products that you create. And I think that's been like design systems is an extreme of that because you both have to you also have to use that product and you're like, oh, how did I do that? Like, yikes. And now everybody has to use it. Everybody you know is using this thing that you made and telling you what's wrong with it. And you're like, oh, wow. It's a good crash course in like listening to your users. Because when you your users are your coworkers, like they're going to tell you.
0: And in this case, you're talking about like a literal design system that you've implemented for your team to build with, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So a design, like an internal design system for your company to build your product. Like that's been the most, the like fastest and most aggressive, aggressive is the right word, but just like, like powerful feedback loop in terms of of user feedback.
2: It's, it also seems like a, a really powerful skill to have both like the design experience and being a front-end engineer because you can sort of build these components that then enable a product team to go out and build faster without having to think about, oh, you know, what is the shading supposed to be on this input box or what color am I supposed to use for the call to action button versus the like secondary button or whatever. And so I'm curious too, I mean, we've got a, the, the next bullet is design and build systems, not just features. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about like what you consider a design system and like what is in scope for design systems versus what is i don't know part of the brand and is there a, mm-hmm. like line between the two or yeah kind of like how how do you see those things coming together
1: yeah i i feel like this is like something that design systems people know. it's this is the core question that design systems people are like nobody understands it. like what where are the bounds of a design system and like what is a design system for and I would say the, like, primary primary conceit of a design system is to provide like, UI primitives to the rest of the company as, like, base building blocks. I think some people would say, like, the goal of a design system is consistency. And I think I would say that, like, a good, if if you're building your design system well, a good side effect is consistency, but it's not necessarily the goal. I think the goal is like efficiency for designers and for engineers and also like alignment for designers and engineers because you're using the same, ideally the same set of building blocks. And so you can sort of have this like shared language. And the reason I make that distinction between like consistency being the goal is that like, I think, In the times where I've worked on a design systems team and we've made consistency our goal, the scope of what we had to do was just impossible. Like, and I don't think it's a good system to have a design systems team almost like in charge of decisions for individual products it creates this like really big tension between product teams and designers and engineers on product teams and the design systems team. And ultimately I feel, I think this is one of the most, the strongest opinions that I have is that the team who are closest to the customer should be making most of the product decisions. And a design systems team is at least like two degrees removed from the customer. Like the product team Here's some customers, they do the user research, they're like accountable to metrics that have to do with customer happiness. And the design systems team is accountable to those product teams. And so I should be able to ask questions, I think, on like, hey, do you really need to use like different style tabs here? Or is using the same style gonna be like better because it's consistent? But I don't think I should have, like, decision-making power over, like, you may not use these kinds of tabs because maybe there's a really solid user choice for why that team is doing it. And, like, what do I know? I don't build that product every day. And I think it's it can be a little contentious when a design systems team takes more of that hardline stance because you don't have the context. And... And it's like quite disempowering and I think can sometimes lead to like, like a lowest common denominator thing for a user experience where like you're using all the same components and you've got like a baseline. Like I think the floor, I forgot, I think Shopify wrote an article about this, but like thinking of design systems as a quality elevator is important because like if you raise the floor, but like you limit the number of things people can do so you're never raising the ceiling. You're, like, lowering the ceiling and become more of a... They described it as, like, a trash compactor, is what they were seeing. And so you need to give, like, agency for those individual teams and designers to, like, explore and and drive solutions that are, like, specific to their use cases. But give them a baseline where, like, if I, I don't... I shouldn't have to re-figure out the tab design. Like, if I'm going right. to fall back on that, I can. But if I really need to like, drive this new pattern because it's good for my customers. I should need to ask design systems, like, for permission.
2: It almost seems like you could could technically implement almost every single web application with just, like, a text input box. So if you're at home and you're trying to, like, listen and think about what, like, this design system might look like, imagine starting with, you're only allowed to use text boxes and that's it. (laughs) But, like, maybe your design system makes like the most badass text box you've ever seen. It's got like crazy shades and like, you know, these fancy borders and things. But what you what the customer really needs is a date picker. But like you're making them enter in some date that's slowing them down and like making their user experience worse. But like you've got a really sexy text box. It just happens to not actually (laughs) solve the user's need. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, one of the things that comes to mind too is like, why not just use an off-the-shelf design system for a long time Use Bootstrap? And I feel like all the websites on the internet from like 2012 to like 20, I don't know, 19, we all basically look the same. And now I'm using Tailwind UI. Tailwind, yeah. Which like, are these design systems, how do you see these like sort of UI frameworks fitting into like that role? And I don't know, is it like bad that people are using those or yeah what are your thoughts about off the shelf stuff i don't
1: think it's bad the lattice design systems actually uses chakra under the hood so uses chakra ui under the hood i like that those things exist one because they're like a public reference two because it's very clear that there's like a set of components that like literally every company needs (laughs) like there's just a baseline set in like how you're gonna start off for your design system. So why are we ind- independently rebuilding them like at every single company, like text boxes, inputs, buttons, tabs, radio buttons, like the set of probably like 30 components that like every, everybody kind of needs. And so it does seem silly that we're like building them all independently and it makes sense to have like a core to start. So I like that these things exist I do think that Bruno Madsen kind of talked a little bit about this. That like, I I think like he felt like there was a, there's like a sameness about the web that design systems, these design systems is kind of like driving. And I think he takes the word design system slightly differently. It's like designing with a system. So like he'll create these like graphic and visual systems and like generative art or, like, generative ways to build things that are, like, somewhat unique. I think I take a little, a slightly more practical stance, which is, like, largely I think the things people want to do the web are, like, roughly the same. Like, they're not, it's just, like, you need to, like, tippity-type your text into something and, like, see it somewhere else. You need to click this thing and, like, have something, like, calculate. And so I think the fact that we have, like, patterns for that are makes sense, and i I like that that something that like having a few big design systems and pattern libraries does it like it really identifies like which things are almost like canon like so many people have done them, they're obviously a thing that like everybody uses, and there's and and we can collectively like build best like a baseline of best practices around them, but again, like the other example is like but someone could take that and like take the baseline of that and put it in a completely different direction very specifically to what they need like maybe I need a carousel but like okay I'll take this base carousel and it works kind of like a carousel but I want to make it go a bunch of different directions for some reason like that would work for me and so I think it's almost like when you're like an artist like you have to learn how to paint like everybody learns how to paint and then you can start breaking the rules I feel like a lot of these design systems just kind of like put down with the like, what are the core skills and then like give you an idea of where you can start breaking the rules. So generally, I think they're also pretty good and pretty amazing. Like I think it's having worked at a company where like Stripe was when I left like 6,000 people and right now Lattice is like a couple of hundred. And earlier in my career, I was like I was working more at like 50, 10 person companies. Like the difficulty level in creating a system that works for a 6,000 person company, is like quite different. Like just even like figuring out what scope you needed to sit at and like how specific you wanted to get with your patterns. So the idea that like, like Tailwind and Bootstrap created things that work for like entire industries is just like really impressive.
0: Is there a point to that point, like at which you would recommend someone sit down and design or come up with their own design system? Like. If you're a four-person startup, it's probably not your main directive to go build your perfect design system, right? But is there, you know, is it 10? Is it 20? What what point do you think it starts to make sense where yeah. that is important or, or does it, you know, it does it depend?
1: Yeah. I don't think I have like a strong opinion on like a specific point, but maybe I can Tell a story of trying to do it at, like, a 10-person company and then deciding that, like, it was probably stupid. <laughs> that was, so when I was at Sourcegraph, I was like, okay, I'm going to, like, put together a design system. And I had worked at Change.org where we like, had one. That company was, like, 100 people. And I had, like, contributed to it, but I didn't, like, create it and I wasn't there when when they created it. And so I started with a baseline set of components and kind of like made a little website and and people were like cool yay and then as folks started using it like literally only 10 people it was just like why does this work this way i'm like oh yeah okay so maybe this should work a different way and that's where i really learned like how when you have a design system that people are using you have a product that you're now supporting and when you have this product that you're supporting you better have time to support it and, and like, I think design systems creates a lot of efficiencies at scale, but at that size, it just was like, you know, you need to take time to support. It, you need to take feedback. I think that's even where I really learned like, like any API change you make to a component is like very important to like get right when you're putting it in the, because once people are using it, changing it is then like really hard. I mean, it depends on the API change, but like it's one of those things where like it's a type two decision. It's a hard to reverse decision. So when Mm -hmm. you're ready to make it, you better be ready to make it. It wasn't quite that type two y at a small company, but again, it created like work for me to maintain, to develop, to support. And at like five, six, what became like a 10 person company, just like I had other stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't creating; it was creating some efficiency, but like between ten people, just like not enough. That it made sense for me to also be spending like twenty, thirty percent of my time, like answering people's questions. I was like, yeah. so I, I think at that stage, it's it's like more helpful just to communicate more, to align. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, like the communication gets so hard, you should create systems around it. And I think those systems should probably like scale with like, like. How much efficiency is it creating versus how much work is is it to maintain and support?
0: Right, and you mentioned having a design team, which I imagine like a 6,000 person org would have, whereas a 10 person org, just know what you're signing up for if you're going to bring it into the world. I was going
2: to ask, so it sounds like maintaining a design system inside of a small company is as if you're an open source maintainer of a popular library and you're all by yourself and you're still having to, Yeah, respond to all these changes and making product decisions about the design system so that it is customizable, flexible and can Mm -hmm. expand into all of the needs that might arise in the future, which can be really tricky. And I think it actually takes like a sort of different mindset to maintain a library that people are then going to use to build other software because you have to think about all the different ways that it might be used and cover all Mm -hmm. those different edge cases instead of just being like, oh, here's how I would use it to build X, Y, and Z. Uh, So yeah, definitely sounds challenging.
1: Yeah, I, I think the open source comparison, it's one I make a lot and I think it's like spot on. Like working on a design system is more like working on an open source library than it is like working on a product. And I think that like sometimes at least in my experience, like often, I think the company expects the design systems team to work more like a product team. It's like, are you going to ship, like shipping more components is the goal. And i that's a goal that I often am like, that's actually not the goal. Like the first goal should be that all our components are like solid. We take our components that people are using the most and make sure that they are like extendable, accessible, that they're like super high quality. Uh, before we expand our surface area of the things that we make because like you if you ship 10 components and you ship them all with an api that doesn't work for anyone and then people that doesn't work well or is extendable and then a lot of people use them and then you figure that out later your job now to fix those is like a hundred times harder than (laughs) than it was before you started and so i think that like like Because you need to sort of like predict this large set of use cases. And you also have to have to accept that there are going to be use cases you can't possibly predict. You have to be ready to deal with the network effects of making it available. Because as soon, at least this was true at Stripe, like because a lot of people use the design system, as soon as you dropped a new component in there, people would start using it. And once they started using it, you had to be responsible for how you were going to change it. And we later, like, figured out, you know, like, versioning and, and pinning. And that's in itself is its own, like, you know, you have to manage what versions people are on, recommend, choose what you're going to support, all those things. But we did have a situation where, like, there was a pattern that someone wanted to contribute. And it had the potential to be used in a few use cases, and some designers were trying it out. And we had a lot of pushback. We didn't want to pull it into the design system until we sort of like had more time and validation that this was a pattern we wanted to propagate but we got a lot of pushback and and like they're like well we don't want to build this a bunch of times so just put it in the design system so we did it and then a couple months later one of the products that was using it did user testing and found out it was just like horrible like it did not test well like people did not know how to use it it was confusing and was causing some like bad effects and actually some other products but because we put in the design system, like four other products, we already using it. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, you don't just have to be like, OK, we're it's not even like we're changing the pattern and updating it to, for everyone. It's like this entire design pattern should not be used. And now we have like we have I mean, we don't have the power to make people do this. But like a thing we have to do is just like, hey, we don't recommend you use this pattern from it. Like you should redesign this. In your product. And like, I don't know, teams are like up in the air whether they have time to do that. So you, you kind of have to be ready to be responsible for everything you put out as well. Like if it's bad, it's going to propagate. If it's good, it's going to propagate. And so you have to, yeah, you have to account for all those, you know, network effects.
0: It sounds like if something makes it into the design system, it's like a design, a seal of approval. And then people are like, well, I'm going to use this thing that you said I should use. And then it gets propagated. And, yeah. You know, you have to have, it sounds like a design system, designer, engineers, product people who are working on that have to think about the end user, but then also the developer experience too. Like, yeah, it's a, what a time to be alive on the internet for sure. Yeah.
1: I'm generally in favor of like experimentation and see what happens. But also if it's not yeah. working, it's not working. Totally. Yeah. I think that like, like that, the comp of like the skateboard and wheel situation also applies to design systems. I think it's one of the reasons why like often people are like, I think we have this pattern. I think it'll work for a lot of use cases. So I want to put it in the design system. And my first instinct is be like, let's wait. Like, let's, why don't you guys use it for a while? And maybe another product might copy it. And yeah, that's some duplication of work. And they'll use it. And then we have so much more information in those two cases about how we should design the API, design the component, which pieces we should bring in, just in like two cases. That when we bring it into the design system, I guess the comp would be, I think we at least want to get to bike stage of something, of a component, before we bring it into design. Like all the skateboards and scooters and shit they should be like in the product but it's like we should at least be a bike by the time we get to the design system
0: oh my god i love that so much it it also like
2: kind of rounds out your philosophy here your last one of critique early and often and with everyone it's like yeah critique and make sure this is going to work before it actually ends up in in the system but also just like generally probably seems like a good way to learn and improve Um, but yeah, I would love to hear maybe like tactically how you go about seeing if something is working or not working in the design system. I think it was, yeah, it was like nice to hear about your experience at the agency and how sometimes you'd work on a client project and then it's kind of like throwing it over the wall and being like, I don't know how well that did. So Mm -hmm. yeah, what has your experience been recently? And maybe what can we learn about how to, yeah, critique and improve our stuff?
1: Yeah, I well, like from a design, design, design standpoint, I, I think I've gone back on this one a little bit in that like it really depends on who you are and your personality. I think I have. I'm like pretty outgoing, and so I'm pretty comfortable like talking to anybody about feedback, and like critiquing with, like, with engineers, with designers at any stage in the process, and being able to like say like actually that's not relevant like just like sort through all the crap like on the fly i think i'm someone who like thinks through speaking a lot so that's like helpful in critique situations i have now worked with a lot of like more different styles of people and i think there are people who just like need that time away and so if you if you're critiquing like all the time if you're like and i have these phases too personally where like I need to think in private. And I think there's people I've worked with who are like brilliant that like they work best when they have that time to think in private and process. And so I think I've shifted a little bit and like, why doesn't everybody share all the time? Like, even if it's messy, even if it's nothing, even. And I'm like, oh, that just like doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. But to get at your question, which is like, how do you figure out if something's working or not? If you have a Slack channel, you figure out pretty quickly because everybody (laughs) complains like immediately. (laughs) So, Like I said, that like if you're working on a design system internally, that feedback, like, like if it's adopted, I think there's different stages where like some people are like working on adoption, so they have to do a lot more advocacy. Most of my experience has been starting on a design system that is like already in place, at least to a certain extent. And then like like working on the things that that are already in use and so when you're at that stage you get the feedback like pretty constantly and immediately (laughs) of like what's wrong and so I feel like the the challenge for me has mostly been how to prioritize because you get like such a big volume and everything feels important because everything is scaled up and so it's been like a struggle for me actually personally having like a like a medium ADD spectrum kind of the brain it's like that's important and that's important and that's important and that's important and then like having a hard time like really getting to focus on any one thing And so i think a lot of at that stage for a lot of design systems the challenge is prioritization it's like you have so many things that you could be doing because nothing is ever perfect because it doesn't work for everybody and so I think you really have to figure out like what what individual change will have the most the most impact for your first line users so your your internal users engineers and designers like like if I were to work on one component how would that change the lives and efficiency of designers and engineers And then you also have to think about the second order impacts. Well, how is that going to affect users? And I think often those things are in line where like if you make something easy to implement and it is Mm -hmm. the right pattern, more people will use the easy thing. So if it's also the right thing, then that gets to users. So often they're in line, but it doesn't always feel like it. And sometimes you really have to like bend your brain to figure out, you know, where the effects are cuz the the effect is also like slow so the feedback mm-hmm. is fast but the seeing it like like if you introduce a new pattern that you think is good you have to wait quite a while for like engineers to use it for then to make its way to users for then you to collect feedback on how users are reacting to it like it doesn't it doesn't it happens pretty slowly so like a side effect of that is actually that like i think the like quarterly like reviews and evaluations and goal setting and OKRs have been tough for me personally in design systems because often the like metrics change in usage or the the like the feedback from users doesn't happen in the same quarter that you do the work, mm-hmm. and so One, that's been a challenge.
2: I wonder if like a shortcut that I've seen oh a shortcut that I've seen recently is people just like designing something in, like, Figma or Sketch or whatever and then jumping on user calls and showing them pictures. Like, it doesn't actually work yet or it might sort of work and then trying to get early, early feedback like that. But, yeah, I I totally understand that, like, the long-term... Long tail seems like it would be sort of exhausting and very different from, like, that really quick iterative feedback loop that you want, like, when building stuff on the web. It's like, oh, I made a change and Next.js just refreshed my browser over there, so... Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, I think like in product that works really well. I'm actually like in the middle of doing that right now. I have like these really early wireframes. I'm like talking to users. I'm like, this is is a mess. So like, it's fine. Just tell us everything. (laughs) It's like, just no judgment. Like, these are just rough ideas. Trying to understand the flow and mental model and just showing those. I think for design systems, there's so many, like there's how it looks. There's how it works for a user and there's the developer experience that often, I think those things are like, sometimes there's so many things you have to get feedback on. We started this process at Lattice that I think has actually worked pretty well. It's not super fast, but like I basically put together a, a design doc, which, you know, means one thing to engineers and a different thing to designers, but it's like one doc that does both of those things. So like articulating like what the API of this thing will be, what the, and then like showing mockups of like what the actual like spec of the component will be, and then sending that round to like all of the product teams and all of the designers and saying like this is how we're gonna build this and and having like a period of of like a like request for comment sort of period, and that's that's worked pretty well. So like before we roll out a, a big system change, like put together one of these design docs and just like tell all the teams, here's what we're thinking about. What should, like, are we missing anything? And then giving them an idea of how we're going to roll it out.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap things up. We can leave our listeners wanting some more. They can head over to checkseed.me. We'll put that in the show notes. So you can check out where you can find Chelsea and all of her work. Maybe she'll add some more philosophies as she develops them in her Future roles. And yeah, thanks so much for hanging out, Chelsea.
1: Cool. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks a ton, Chelsea.
2: You can find the show notes and all of the links to the resources at buildandlearn.dev. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Bye, friends.
1: See ya.